This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. So, so again, great big giant, good morning. Great to see you wonderful folks here today. And again, welcome to our both our in-person and our, our online audience. And today we're going to continue on with, with the Christmas story. What I'd ask us to do is to find a place today, over this next hour, where you can inhabit the story. I said that last week. A place you can really feel like you can live into it. You know, pay attention for part of what I read or, or part of what we share uh, about spirituality. Again, reading from the Bible, hearing some different things. We feel like, oh yeah, that's what I'm supposed to hear today. Just be curious. Because this story is so rich. There's so much. Like, like a lot of, um, a lot of services I try to drive to one point. Like, here's the one thing I want everybody to know that I feel like God's trying to tell us. This one is not that way. This is a smorgasbord. So you get to pick, you get to pick what you want. You get to pick what really speaks to you today. And again, as, as always, folks, like if you need just a little voice to it, like feel free to text it to me or, or shoot me an email or take me out to Bertucci's. I don't know, whatever, whatever your heart desires, you know, it's all good. All good. See, this is, this is what I know. This is what I know. This slide here. The answer is the story and the story is being written. Can we say that together? The answer is the story, and the story is being written. That idea we're in the, in the middle of this story, and, and the Bible's filled with all parts, and it's not filled with parts that are saying necessarily, don't do this, do that. It's filled with parts going, well, you're going to do this, and you're going to do that. <laughs> and this is how the story moves, and the idea that the answer comes when we get comfortable with it, the story is being written. Now, with the Christmas story, like many, many times, you know, we start with very simple, very simple, beautiful, basic images of it. And, and this year, you know, because we, we step into it every year a little differently, I'm taking the liberty of sort of jumping around chronologically and, and trying to look at some themes about the story because I think there's just, there's so much there for us. And, I want to look at today just with a, with a simple concept, and it's this next slide here, which is a simple idea of what a difference a day makes. What a difference a day makes. Because this story, folks, like Christmas is, is actually traditionally a time of waiting. I, I say this often. It's a time of waiting and uncertainty and, and yet, holding on to hope at the same time, you know, this uncertainty married with hope, this movement from imagination, like how do we have to reimagine things, to a courage that that calls out, imagination and courage. As many of you know, because I say it a lot, you know, Christmas, every significant part of the story takes place at night. And it's not just about, see if this makes sense to you, it's not just about Light illuminating the darkness. It's about a darkness that actually can illuminate light, if that makes sense. Think of the stars of the sky. You know, that, that, same, that same kind of idea. So I want to, want to read to you a, a part of a story here. And, and with the Bible, what's interesting is the Bible, again, was, was an oral tradition. In other words, they would have gathered people like we're gathered here today. Granted, not at the Mitchell Performing Arts Center, but they would have gathered like we gather here today. 
And then people would have shared this story as an oral tradition. It was spoken. So literally, these, these four Gospels, there's four major accounts of Jesus' life, they were designed for people to hear in a sitting. You know, and that sitting was kind of long. You know, it's a couple hours to read through the, each one of these books. But, but you were supposed to hear this sort of seriatim. You were supposed to sort of hear how the, how the flow of the story went. Most of the time, preaching, though, is just picking one little slice. And today, I want, to want you to pay attention to the flow as I say this. So we're picking it up from, from the story in, in Matthew 2. And that's one of the four Gospels. Jesus has already been born. All of a sudden, there's these three wise men who come from the East. We'll be talking more about them next week. Uh, three wise men who come from the East. They're bringing three gifts. Now, we have some people who have no clue what those gifts are. And we have some Bible geeks who know exactly what those three gifts are. And they're going to shout it out right now. The three gifts were? Excellent. You passed sixth grade religion. Good stuff. You know, that, that they bring these three gifts. And I'm going to read that part. And then I want you to notice how quickly the story changes. What a difference a day makes. What a difference a day makes. After they had heard the king, the wise men went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went before them. We're going to be looking at that next week. They opened up their treasures, presented him with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Again, more coming on that next week. When the wise men had gone, this is, this is like they've left, and we can assume they, they left sometime in the evening, and then, and then all of a sudden there's this dream. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Now, now, escape to Egypt is not like driving to Southampton. Escaping to Egypt was a perilous journey, going over a desert, back down through the wilderness, like Israel's up here, that's where they were. Going down here, it would be like me saying you have to, you have to flee to, you know, I don't know, uh, Libya or somewhere, you know, somewhere way, from, like unimaginably far and foreign to what his experience would have been. And he stayed until the death of Herod, excuse me, uh, escaped to Egypt. Stay there till I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy the child. Again, we're going to look at Herod too, like there's this Herod part that's out to destroy that love that God is embedding in our hearts. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother Mary during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod and so was filled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I have called my son. After Herod died, this is a few years later, an angel appeared in a dream to Joseph and said, get up, take the child's mother, go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, went to the land of Israel. It's, it's a fascinating part, folks, to look at this, at this basic idea of an escape. Get up, take the child as mother, and escape to Egypt. It's, it's, it has an urgency to it. You know, this urgency of here's life a certain way. And, and, and just imagine, folks, like these were peasants. Mary and Joseph were peasants. They were given gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They were given a lottery ticket. And just imagine that feeling, and then literally, what a difference a day makes. Literally, all of a sudden, they're fleeing for their lives. There's, I think, something really there for us. Like, when we look at this picture, when we look at this picture, there's something really there for us. 
something there about like the fact again and, and the theme of this Christmas series this year is that there is a tenderable, tender, vulnerable love alive and at work in your heart. We, we just touched on that a little bit last week. But I want us to breathe there for a second. Let's all take a breath. There is a tender, vulnerable love. You know it. You feel it. It's alive and at work in your life. The answer is the story. The story is being told. Part of that telling of the story are these times of great celebration. And also these times of exile where we, where we have to flee, where we feel like we have to go somewhere else for a period of time. And I'm talking about that figuratively. I'm not telling anyone to head out to Egypt this afternoon. As the band comes out, as the band comes out, I want you to think about what those parts really are. I want you to try to get as clear as you can about what that vulnerable love is. And I want us all to understand, like, yeah, there's this initial celebration of that. But for deep love to be really born in our lives, there's going to inevitably be challenges with it. Anybody who's in a loving relationship knows that. Can I get a little quiet amen on that? (laughs) It's part of life. The answer is the story. The story is being told. Movement from imagination to courage. How do we take that tender love, learn to protect it and nurture it, learn to allow it to have a time of exile? And what can we learn there about God and there about how love moves through our lives? So, folks, I I really do want us to be so clear, so crystal clear on the idea this next slide has that this is all about keeping vulnerable love. Please say the word there. Please keeping vulnerable love alive and at work in our lives. It's, it's so important. And, and of course, you know, folks, that work of keeping that alive, that's spiritual work. That's, that's how God moves in our lives. And, and, and there's, there's actually something to be learned by that, by that holding it and protecting it. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit. And I, and I, I want to be clear. That means we will have times of exile. I know me. Like, a hard thing happens. And my first response is, I'm done, I'm out. You know? I'm out. I don't, this is just too painful to be part of. And there's this other, truer part that we all share that's a part that's not looking to get out, but is willing to enter in. Joseph taking Jesus and his mother to Egypt that's willing to do that, that's willing to look at the, at the pain of that and the courage that it takes 
knowing that, again, that there, there are those incredible moments. I, I, I think in life, like, don't we wish that it was this simple and we saw these kind of signs all the time, right? Wouldn't that be nice? If you know where that sign is, let me know. It's not how it works. Dear friend, Chris, he lost his dad, uh, you know, about a month ago, and we were texting yesterday, and uh, Chris is actually one of the first, husband was one of the first couples actually did their wedding service. And Chris is driving down to Florida to help load up, load up some things, take care of some of his dad's business affairs. His dad passed away in Florida. And, you know, that's a hard journey. And, you know, it was a great text. He said, he said, Chuck, I got 18 hours on the road. So we will be chatting. You see, that's that trip to Egypt. That's that, that's that, that journey. And folks, it's like it, it, words just, words are sort of failing me a little bit now. And I still want to keep coming back to. There is this deeply tender part vulnerable part in your life. That is God. That is God. It's counterintuitive. It's not about a God showing up way out there in, in clouds of glory. It's, it's about a much quieter thing happening. I mean, that's why the Christmas story, I believe, is, is told from a new church perspective the way it actually is. And I want to talk for a minute about, about how that works. I'm going to go over and sit over here in a, in a seat because I feel like, you know, we're, we're in our life and we want, we want to have this, this, uh, this experience, so to speak, and, and then, and then inevitably we hit a time that's, that's just a time of exile, time of challenge, and that can happen over the holidays. So I'm going to go sit over here. And we go into this time of exile, sort of as, as we're sitting in this place, what is it maybe we're supposed to learn as we're sitting over here? And there's, there's, there's so many things, I think, that get learned in, in this place. And I, I think back to it, you know, all those challenges for me, and I imagine for you, those exile times where we go from one place to another. It's, it's, not, it's not that I look back and I regret those times now. Like, I'm sad about some of them, clearly. But I don't regret having gone through the experience because there's things I think we all learn from that experience that are really important and, and are important to welcome as, as part of the Christmas season. Again, like, like Christmas is... Is, is really, it is about celebration, but it's also about this waiting. There are also those from the Old Testament, there are also those who serve God because they stand and they wait. Because they stand and they wait. Now I feel like there's, there's kind of in this place, there's kind of like, like two pieces of God. One, one part is, you know, this idea of, of sort of God and this idea of God and power, you know, sort of this external God of power. And that's the God that when I watch football, that's the God I pray to who's going to make sure my team wins right there. That's the God of power and, and strength who, who I can pray to about this, that, or the other external thing that I want to get. 
that I want to get. That's where in Christian circles, this is where the prosperity gospel is born out of that idea of sort of, sort of a, a powerful God, an all-powerful God. But that's not the theme at all in the Christmas story. It's just interesting, right? Born to peasants. Not born in the capital, born in a small little backwater town. No conquering armies. Just loving parents. Loving parents. Willing to gather up that love. And in spite of their fears and worries, to carry it on. Because they know that's what we are called to do. Knowing that's what we are called to do. Now that particular view of Christmas, it doesn't necessarily fit in with all the celebratory stuff, but I think it fits in with the meaning of stuff. Because the shift here, folks, is trying to understand instead of a God of power, we have a God of vulnerability. Instead of a God of power, we have a God of vulnerability. And that is an internal God. That's something that we, just like an infant, we hold much closer to our chest versus holding out there as some icon. That vulnerable peace, folks, is so critically important to welcome in because that vulnerable peace is where we learn how to actually redefine what power is. To actually redefine what power is. Power for me, I had to learn this week, was not my checking account shared on Instagram with a cast of thousands. Power is something far more gentle, far more tender. But notice, folks, what it pulls out of you. What it calls you to. The God of power won't call very much out of you, I don't think. The God of vulnerability calls out your heart just like an infant. It calls out your courage just like a true warrior. Think about that. It calls out your heart like a parent. It calls out your courage like a true warrior. And it's a totally different way of, of seeing power. It's a totally different way of, of learning to move forward into the world. And, and this is what God wants us to be. It's, it's, it's not, folks, that this original view of sort of God as power, God as invulnerable power is, is bad. I, th I think that's, that's a beautiful image. And the answer is the story, and the story is being told. And the story that's being told is a story that's going to move us from this to this, from this story of God as power who can get three wise men to show up with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. All of a sudden, a God that does this, who asks us to do this, to be in this vulnerable place, 
a little aside, I think the gold, frankincense, and myrrh, I think that's what, ready for this? This is Chuck's crazy theological guess. The gold, frankincense, and myrrh, those gifts that came from this view of God, actually were what nourished their journey. It's why they were able to live in Egypt. Just a guess. I don't know that, but it just seems to me that would be logical. Because eventually we are, when we've learned this over time, and it's all part of the journey, we will be called back home with this tender, vulnerable love where we have a heart of a parent. Whether you have kids or not, doesn't matter. With the heart of a parent, the courage of a true warrior. I'm going to step back over here. Those pieces, folks, when we find them, give us this very different way of seeing life. And life all of a sudden moves from this this myopic concern with happiness to where we understand this internal view. Please listen carefully to this, where where it's far more about meaning than about happiness. I had a great conversation with a parishioner around that, and I want to be really careful with that. Does God want you to be unhappy, yes or no? No, no. So please don't hear this going, Chuck said we need to be unhappy this week, this Christmas season. That's not it. If, 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 if Christmas or any time of our life becomes myopically, like, laser-focused just on my own individual happiness, will I find happiness? <laughs> no, I won't. Because my own individual happiness right now would have me home drinking a beer and watching football. Like, that'd be it. Right? And, and, and we're always called to that. We're always called to that. Like, this is a, can I complain for a second? <laughs> so this is my little wah-wah for the day. Can you say, this is Chuck being 12, just let him do it. So I, I just heard this crazy commercial yesterday. You know, I'm listening to a, to a football game on, online, and, and they advertise beer, and they're like, yes, this is, the, this is the beer. This is the first beer you can drink in the morning. And I'm like, dude, if you're drinking beer in the morning, like, you're advertising that? Like, this is breakfast beer? You do know that's strange, right? I mean, not to make fun of anybody who had a beer before they came to church, but that's like, you know, God bless you. Maybe I'll join you on a week off. I don't know. But, like, that's weird to advertise that to me. Because it is, right? Because it's like that's all about your own particular individual happiness at that moment. Henry James said, you know, if it's all about happiness, we should just drink beer. So it's not saying that happiness is bad. It's about how do we expand that. That gets into that term of joy. And I think we have to go in search of meaning. We can turn away from challenging times. We can turn away from this vulnerable love. Because, folks, if you're going to allow that vulnerable love to grow, your heart will break. As I say often, it's not about breaking your heart. It's about breaking your heart open. That should bring you to tears. It's not about breaking your heart. It's about breaking your heart open. So that journey just becomes this this part of life. And then we start to understand, I I, I deeply believe, a 
a vulnerable love far differently. This is, this is where hope comes in. See what a difference hope starts to make here. But it's a different kind of hope. Take a look at this description from Vaclav Havel about what hope actually is. Hope is a state of mind, not of the world. It's an orientation of the heart. Beautiful line there, orientation of the heart. It transcends the world that is immediately experienced. This next line. How do people write this stuff? And is anchored be somewhere beyond its horizons. Hope in this deep and powerful sense is not the same as joy that things are going well, but rather an ability, listen folks, here's meaning right here, but rather an ability work for something because it's good. I want to say it again. But rather an ability to work for something just because it's good. Not because it stands a chance to succeed. Hope is definitely not the same as optimism. It's not the conviction that something will, think 100% guaranteed, turn out well. But the certainty that something makes sense, regardless of how it turns out. Is that good or what? Man, holy cow. Just ridiculously beautiful, right? That's that vulnerable love that's not looking for assurances that it's all going to be work out. I mean, I do believe it's all going to be okay, but I don't believe it's all going to work out in the way that, that I have in my mind for it to work out. I believe that hope is so important and that, that hope is sort of captured. This is, this is such a, it's such a beautiful painting I want to show you. It's a beautiful painting and it just, just is a beautiful little capture, I think, of kind of the hope and the peace a little bit of this, this, this journey that Joseph takes with Mary to Egypt. Is that a beautiful little painting or what? Did Mary sit with the baby Lord in the arms of the Sphinx? Probably not. But I love that painting. I think that's indeed beautiful. And I think as well, other pictures are indeed beautiful. I want to throw a picture up on the board right now. And we're going to make a little phone call here. This is my first time trying this. Hopefully I'm not going to do it onto Instagram. So James Horgan is a beloved friend of mine. And James is joining us from down in Auburn, Alabama. And he's going to tell us about this picture here. It's a super high-tech Chuck. Hey, Pastor Chuck. James, how you doing? Can all you folks hear him? All right, how about you all give him a great big, hello, James. Hello, James. There you go. James, good to have you on board, brother. So we're looking at a beautiful picture of you. I don't know what's up with that hat, James, I just got to say. But what is what a beautiful picture. And can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, well, greetings from the, the loveliest village on the plains. Uh, this past March, uh, March 3rd, I was sitting in the comfort of my house, um, 
just trying to enjoy a Sunday afternoon and uh, my phone started lighting up about storms hitting Montgomery and a little town just south of us called Beauregard and that's Miss Station. Um, I've been working as a volunteer with a disaster response team down here and we had already dealt with three major storms, hurricanes and stuff and you know, <laughs> I have to admit I was kind of tired and I just wanted to relax and didn't really want to answer my phone but um, this was just five miles south of us and so um, in, in, in less than a minute's time, um, over 200 homes were destroyed, uh, hundreds of victims were, were um, harmed, and 23 uh, lives were taken, uh, four children, the youngest being six years old. Uh, this small community, Beauregard, you know, it's a lot of uh, low-income families, a lot of people live in mobile homes, trailers, and double-wides, and, and that night when we went down there, <laughs> Um, you know, it, it looked like bombs had gone off. There were the frames of these double wide trailers wrapped around pine trees. Uh, the, the trailers were gone. It was just debris, nothing bigger than, you know, the size of a basketball. But the frames were wrapped around the trees, if you could picture that in your mind. Um, and, 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 you know, those days, those hours, those days, those weeks of the cleanup, the, the stories for the families, it was very, very hard. You know, it was hard to process. Um, as we, we, we slowly helped them start to clean up. But it, what was so amazing was seeing everybody in that community, the local churches, um, the surrounding churches, the, the not-for-profit organizations start to come together and, and help this community rebuild, um, help these families that had lost everything, you know, lost loved ones, lost their homes, lost it all, start to slowly rebuild. And, and, a, and a campaign was started to um, with, with some of the local churches and not-for-profits to rebuild homes. Um, and and ultimately, there was a plan to, to build um, 17 homes for families. Uh, and, and we spent time over the summer and into the fall. The last home was just finished uh, a month ago. Uh, but this individual, that's actually not me. That's, that's my good friend Ski back there wearing that hat. <laughs> um, that's good. He, uh, he had, he had been working with me in the early days where we were assessing properties that needed to have trees cleared. And he found this one lady, Miss Wendy, um, back in her double wide that had been damaged. There were so many trees around her, her trailer. You couldn't even see it back there, but she was hiding back in there. The roof was damaged. There was water coming in. And he, he came and said, James, we got to get back there. And help her out. We got to get her property cleared, and and so we cleared her property and her her trailer. You know, it, it couldn't be repaired. We did our best to tarp it, but it was in bad shape. And she was living in this trailer. Um, she, this is her granddaughter uh, Kaylee, and her son had been living in the trailer before the storms. And I think her granddaughter and her son had to go live somewhere else uh, because the trailer was so bad. Well, anyways, when we when the decisions were made to make these seventeen homes. Ski begged uh, the people that were, were heading this up, could we just do one more? Can we just build one more home? And and, and you know what? It, it happened. We built an 18th home. Um, and so this was the day we were standing up the walls there uh, for Miss Wendy's home, and, and our granddaughter showed up, Kaylee, and she was standing out there in, in front of the house, um, and we were standing inside putting up the walls, and, and, and we said, hey, Kaylee, you want to come in and pick out your bedroom? Uh. And her, her face just lit up, uh, you know, and Ski walked her through the house, and, you know, 
showed her each bedroom. It's a three-bedroom house. And Kaylee picked her bedroom, you know. Kaylee's in her house this morning. She's going to be spending Christmas in this new home uh, with her father and with her grandmother, Miss Wendy. Um, and, and that all happened because people were willing to get up and, and go out outside their comfort and, and just make this happen and say, can we just build one more home? You know, we, 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 we all... Uh, we all see these tragedies, and you know, when it happens five miles south of you, it's not hard to be motivated to get up and go serve. But, you know, right up there in Philadelphia, there are Kayleys. There are people that need their homes to be fixed. There are people that need meals. When you guys go down and, and make meals for families, you know, but you're touching people that need that. And, and, and sometimes we have to force ourselves to get up when we don't want to and go do that. But think of Kaylee's, you know, she's in a home, she's having Christmas with her grandmother. Um, and, and we don't have to wait for an EF4 tornado to come through to rip through a town like Beauregard to, to take care of the people that are right, right down the street from us that need help. Um, and, and, and just see that love of God pour into the family, family like Miss Wendy's family and little Miss Kaylee there. <sighs> Two. Well, James, you got my mascara running, so I, it's, it's a beautiful story, brother. And just, you know, thank you for all you do, and I love you. Love you guys, and miss you guys so much. And hey, Graham, thanks for that wonderful song. Yeah. All right. Thank you. So everybody say goodbye, James. Bye. Thanks, buddy. Take care. Now, now, folks, again, like, like, look at this picture. Look at her, look at her face. <sighs> Our job is to keep vulnerable love alive and at work in our lives. Can you see the vulnerable love there? Can you see how that kind of love pulls out a courage and a care, a love and an attentiveness? Can you see even a trip to Egypt there? Time that can feel like exile, time that can feel like everything's wrong, but then this little precious girl gets to pick out her bedroom. And all of a sudden we step back into the light. You're like, oh, that's it. Not the God of power, but the God of vulnerability. Not the God that's worried about our own private myopic happiness, but a God that is forever speaking into meaning. This little girl, look at her, folks. The answer is the story, and the story is being told. We don't know where her story goes. We do know it's a good story. And we do know there's this thing called hope that we seek to reclaim, my dear friends, every Christmas. And I'm going to ask you just to say amen with me here when I kill you. And all God's people say together, Amen. Lord, we close just with a simple blessing. Lord, again, 
keep us on that movement home. Allow today to stir something in our hearts. Allow us to learn, again and again, Lord, the art of homecoming. Thank you for being with us today. In your name, this Sunday, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv.